Loving Your Neighbor, in the sermon series, Faith Foundations, spoken by Pastor Doug Cho. We continue in our series, Faith Foundations. Uh, last week, Pastor Sunita did preach, powerful sermon, but I just wanted to remind you that the Faith Foundation series, um, yeah, it's like the foundations, the things that we stand on, but again, it's a reminder, an important reminder for us to study, to look at, to remember what are the pillars of our faith? Why do we do what we do? Why do we live out the way we do? And so today we're going to look at the importance of loving your neighbor. Loving your neighbor. And um, you hear that a lot, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's very biblical. It's very grounded. It's very explicit in scripture why it's important. Uh, Just going to look at that real quick. Matthew 22 verse 34. Matthew 22, verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Very clear, very explicit. There's no room to argue how important these commandments are. The first commandment is very straightforward. Love the Lord your God with everything. Love the Lord your God with everything. And you know, there are things that get in the way of that. I know. Right? Loving the Lord your God with everything is a very large ask. If we look at our lives today, and we see and we reflect how we spend our time, the ways our, if we spend time with God, if we spend time reading his word, I would argue that if the only time that happens is on a Sunday, do you really love your God with everything? And the only reason I bring this up is the second commandment, the second great commandment cannot be fulfilled without the first. It cannot be fulfilled with the first. And that's why when Jesus says these things, when we see it in scripture, it's very intentional. The order is there. The first is required for the second. You need to have deep adoration, a deep relationship with the Father. You need to be in the spirit in order to be able to carry out love for your neighbor. You need that. Because loving your neighbor is a tall ask. And we're going to look at that today. But right now, I just want to look at something. Because over the years, there's been a strong emphasis on the second part of that commandment. Loving your neighbor as yourself. The as yourself part of that commandment. And lately, we've seen over the years this rise in this need to practice self-care. Self-care. And in that, this great spirit of Christian social media came. right? And then we saw more pictures of the golf course. Hashtag Sabbath. More pictures of manicures. Hashtag Sabbath. More pictures of people at the spa. Hashtag Sabbath. And you know, I agree. I think that's very important. I do. But is rest really rest without God? I'll ask you that one more time. Is rest really rest without God? It cannot be. So I do agree. I do agree, self-care, self-help, very important things. And the world has recognized that as well because self-help and self-care are very trendy, very trendy. The rise of many self-help influencers, social media therapists, they're everywhere. Now everyone's a a therapist, apparently, right? 
We don't respect the occupation anymore because everyone's a therapist. But that portion, that portion of the commandment as yourself, it is secondary. It is not the primary thing. It does not dictate loving your neighbor. It is under that primary command. All it does is set a standard. See, the expectation is that you love yourself well that you understand this. And if you don't know how to, because many of us don't know how to, whether because of our trauma, our past, the things that we have, our brokenness, our perfectionism, our pressure to provide to our family, desire to climb the corporate ladder, whatever that might be, whatever that is, there are many reasons for us not to be able to love ourselves well. Yes, learn how to love yourself well. Go to therapy. Be a student of yourself. Of course. But merely sets a standard for what loving your neighbor looks like. That's it. It sets the standard. Loving your neighbor is the command as yourself is the standard. And you know, the only reason I bring this up is because I have heard and we have as a church have heard many reasons for why people cannot love their neighbors. Like when people say, I cannot serve the church because I need to love myself better when they're not involved in the church at all. Or they say, this brother or sister's needs are too much for me, so I just need to exit this relationship. I need more time for myself. I'm tired. I'm busy. Well, is loving your neighbor supposed to be convenient? <laughs> and so I will acknowledge, I will acknowledge, I'm not trying to attack anybody. This commandment is hard. This commandment is hard. All right? Think about it. The holidays are coming up. We're going to have Thanksgiving. We're going to have Christmas after that. Right? Help our souls, someone just said. Help our souls. Some of us can barely tolerate the people that we see during this time. The people that you invite over to your home and share food with. Right? You stress about seeing them. You see them. It's the worst day. They leave, you grumble about it, you wait another year. Some of us can barely do that. Much less love your enemy. Love a stranger. And so in acknowledgement of that, we have to see and we have to notice that this commandment is supernatural. It requires a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit a relationship with God the Father in order for us to carry this out. Amen. Amen. Okay, sure. Let's pray together. Um, if we could all just submit ourselves to the Spirit right now, um, God is working, God is moving. I totally recognize this. Spirit, just come, continue to come like a rushing wind, that you would sweep over your people that you would speak through your servant, that you would speak to hearts and souls, you would empower them, you would be over them, you would convict them, you would encourage them, that you would tear down lies, tear down cannot do's, Lord God, that you would bring about um, power, Lord, within your people, a power to take up what you have called them to. So Father, may what is said today be pleasing to you. May your word permeate through this room. Speak, God. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. So today's scripture, we're going to be looking at Luke, the Luke passage that mirrors the Matthew passage. This is the Good Samaritan, Luke 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And he replied, Jesus said, well, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. It's always a problem when Jesus responds to a question with a story. You know, something's going to happen. And remember, the purpose of a parable is to disrupt the framework by which you live. So this story is important. The context to the story, even the context of why the teacher is asking him a question is important. You see, in those days, uh, when teachers were teaching, they usually sat. And then there would be a crowd around him and the students would stand and ask questions out of respect. So this expert of the law is kind of masquerading as a student, standing to ask him a question. But what he's doing is he's testing Jesus, seeing if he's going to slip up. And Jesus knows this, but he entertains him anyway. And then he asks a silly question. He asks him, what must I do to inherit e eternal life? as if he could do anything to inherit anything. And this doesn't make sense, but Jesus goes with it. And he says, well, what do you think? He says, well, these are the great commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yes, you are right. But he doesn't say, you've attained eternal life. Eternal life is yours. He says, go and do those things. He says, go and do those things. Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. Keyword, justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see, this man wanted to pat himself on the back. He wanted to make sure that he was already there, that he had made it. And in his mind, he probably had a list of people that, would file, that he could kind of check off and say, you know what? I have fulfilled this command. See, because as an expert of the law, he's probably read the book of Leviticus. And if you, if you read Leviticus 19.18 and you ask yourself, who is your neighbor? It reads like this. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So who are, who's your neighbor here? Your people. Your people. It's very specific. 
Very specific. But if you're referring to Leviticus 19, 33-34, it reads like this. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. If you ask yourself the same question, it's a very different answer. It's a very comprehensive list. And so that's why you cannot cherry pick scripture. Because when you do that, you're doing it because it's convenient for you. And so Jesus, being the incredible teacher that he is, knows all of this about this man. And that's why he responds with a parable. Dr. Kenneth Bailey does a fascinating cultural study on this parable, so I'm going to share parts of it with you. But we're going to ask ourselves one question today. The one question is, what does it cost to be a neighbor? What does it cost to be a neighbor? Scene one, a man is attacked. Verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, uh, leaving him half dead. So context here, there's a very specific origin, a very specific destination. So we, he's coming from Jerusalem, going to Jericho. We can assume this man is Jewish. Right? That's, those are very uh, prime cities back in those days. And he goes, and on his way down this road, he's attacked by robbers. Right? He's probably resisted fighting them, trying to keep his things. They attack him. They take everything from him, even his clothing. They leave him half dead on the road. Scene two, a priest now comes down this road. Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. This is actually a very fascinating verse because this verse holds so much in it. See, back in those days, priests were actually really wealthy. They made up the elite class. They had it all. They had status. They had wealth. They were good. This man was not walking. A lot of times we imagine this, this passage, like, oh, this priest is walking down the road. He is not walking. He's got to ride, right? He's riding down this road. And so they see half dead man on the road. What we see here is this priest had the means to take this man, put him onto his ride and go along. He has the means, but he faces a dilemma, a very troubling dilemma. Jewish law says he should help him. He should help him. However, if this man is dead and the priest approaches the corpse, touches it, the priest must now go back to Jerusalem and for one week has to cleanse himself because he has become ceremonially unclean. And when he does that, he can't eat of his tithes. He can't receive them. Neither can his family. That's his income, right? And so he loses out on all of that. However, even furthermore, if this man is not Jewish, the law says he has to take his robes off and give them back to the temple. And he loses his position. See, the priest sees this situation. He's confronted with a dilemma. Do I help this man? But then he considers his position, his welfare, his status, his family, and he decides that the best thing for him to do is carry on. Safest bet. Scene three, a Levite comes down the road. 
Verse 32, so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. So a Levite in those days, uh, it, it, a Levite is a tribe, yes, but they were the assistants to the priests of the temple. So they're like a tear down, right? So this man probably knew that that priest had gone through this area. He was probably affiliated with him. He may have been his assistant. Who knows? But he probably knew that he was there. And so he comes and he's faced with the same dilemma. As a Jewish person, he should help said person. He should help him. But he too faces a dilemma. Who am I to outdo the priest that just came by here? If the priest didn't do anything, why should I do anything? So he knows his status, he understands his position, and he does not want to jeopardize his relationship with this priest. So what does he do? Carry on. He moves on. And the reason why we look at this and we bring this up is we face dilemmas like this all the time when it comes to helping people. Why? Because we are constantly weighing a cost and measuring a result when it comes to helping somebody out. Just like the priest and the Levite who weigh a cost to risk, to fulfill being a neighbor, we do the same thing. We justify not, people giving, uh, not giving people money who are panhandling, right? We justify that. We say, well, we, we don't know what they're going to do with that. We don't know what they're going to go off to. Okay, fair. Call that wisdom. But are we called to be faithful or are we called to ensure consequences? Right? We see videos, the troubling videos of benevolent people. I remember there was a video of a man. Um, he's walking by in winter. He has his coat on. He sees someone sleeping on the floor. They're really cold. They take off their jacket. They put it onto the person. The person gets up. They attack the person. It's scary. It's scary out there for sure. There's videos. There's evidence of benevolent people who are met with violence. How many of us have driven by people who are walking in the rain? And you say to yourself, that sucks. But I've been in the car with people who are like, that sucks. Like what? So savage. You know, and like our culture frowns upon it, right? Picking someone up, getting into a stranger's car. And I recognize here my privilege as a man because as a woman, it's even more dangerous. I understand that. But it's happened to me. I was driving home from the office in Englewood. And you know in Englewood, there's a circle, right, with a statue. I saw a woman. It's raining really hard. She's walking down the street, no umbrella. I'm like, that sucks. What do I do? I drove around the circle three times because I had my, I was, it was a dilemma. I didn't know what to do. What do I say? What should I do? And like, I'm really awkward, right? So I drove up to her and I was like, hey, do you need a ride? It's raining. She's okay. She got in the car. I was like, uh, where are you going? She gave me an address. I put it in. We drove off. Didn't say a word. It was not a holy moment at all. It was just me driving. I didn't know what to do. And she just sat there, you know? And she was on edge. I was on edge. It was very uncomfortable. Right? Should have played music. I don't know. 
We got to her destination. She gets off, doesn't say thank you, just leaves. But am I doing it for a thank you? No. Am I doing that? Do I want some kind of reward, you know? No. That's not the point. There's so many reasons not to do something. There's so many reasons not to do something. There's so many reasons not to reach out. There's so many reasons not to be a neighbor. But we have one reason to do it. It's because Jesus calls us to it. Scene four. A surprise now enters this story. Verse 33. But the Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. All right, this is a surprise. Because if you're a Jew listening to this story, right, you do not expect the hero of the story to be a Samaritan. You expect the hero to be a Jew, fellow Jew. Samaritan people, they hated them, right? Jesus brings in the Samaritan as the hero. He took pity on him. That word, took pity on him, is better translated to he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. Augustine, uh, Origen, they all identified the Samaritan as Jesus. So when we read this parable, you are not Jesus. We are not Jesus. We are never, we are never the Samaritan in this. Jesus is the Samaritan. The significance of the Samaritan is that he is an outsider. He's hated. He's spurned by the Jews. And it is only the Samaritan that is moved with compassion to aid the dying Jewish man, much like Jesus. Scene five. He uses the resources he has on hand to treat the man. Right, verse 34. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. So we're going to pause right here. He uses all his, those things aren't cheap. Those are his. They belong to him. They're not like easily acquired like it is today. He goes, he takes care of him. He treats him. He takes the time. He, uh, touching uh, someone who is potentially dead back in those days, very dangerous. Right? So he did that. He works on it. But he doesn't just stop there, right? Because if you see someone dying and you treat them and then you just leave them, it doesn't make any sense, right? You have to move them, right? And so he continues. Then he put the man on his own donkey, verse 34, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. You see, people don't realize he risks everything he has, including his life to do this. Okay? Track with me. An inn back in those days is not like a motel, like a random motel you see on the parkway or highway, right? When you drive by, it's like random motel, right? Um, inns were in city centers. They're in populated places. This man was going to Jericho. He's, this inn is probably near or in Jericho. He takes him there. This is a Samaritan man who's hated by Jewish people, who's carrying a half-dead Jewish man with him. How does that look? It's not a good look. At best, at best, they reject him. They say, go away. We don't want anything to do with you. At worst, they think that he's the perpetrator to this attack. And then they kill him. 
So he goes and he brings this man to an inn. He takes care of him. He stays with him. Verse 35, the next day, the next day. That means he slept there. He took out two denarii, two days wages, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, so he's going to come back, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. He stays there. He stays the night in dangerous territory. Stays with the man, pays two days wages, and then promises he's going to come back. All right? This money is significant for two reasons. One is it's a lot of money. And he's trying to make sure that this man is going to recover over a period of time. Yes. But also, the second reason is this man had nothing. He was taken away. He was robbed. His clothes are gone. He has nothing. Back in those days, people who overstayed at inns and were not able to pay the innkeeper back, by law, the innkeeper makes them their slave so that they can't pay back the wages. And they were historically treated very poorly. This man knows this. So he says, I'll come back to pay more. He will put himself in danger again to pay more for this man, to make sure he does not end up in slavery. And then this parable ends with Jesus now turning the question to the expert of the law. Verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? I want you to notice here, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't ask, now how do you think you get eternal life? He doesn't ask, who do you think your neighbor is? He asks, who was the neighbor here? And without wanting to acknowledge that it's the Samaritan, the expert replies, the one who had mercy. Jesus tells him, just like he said of the commandments in the beginning, he says, then you go and you do likewise. See, the lengths Jesus depicts here to which a neighbor goes to care for, to sacrificially love on, someone you might call an enemy, they're costly. And maybe it'll be like a detour for you. Maybe it'll be a delay. Or maybe it'll be something that you have to sacrifice for greatly. But that is why you cannot fulfill the second commandment without a deep relationship with God. It's not possible. You won't do it. You won't do it. Because only if God is convicting you, calling you, moving you to go to such lengths, will you truly love your neighbor in this way, like the Samaritan. In 2014, um, it was a really hard year for me because I left my job in corporate and I was pursuing a call to ministry and my family hated this idea. And so they actually stopped talking to me for this year because I, I told them I'm, I'm quitting my job, I'm going to seminary. So uh, the summer of that year, um, I told myself, oh, I need to make some money so I'll go teach in Korea. Right? And it was just like, it was more like an escape. But it, I went to Korea to, to teach. And um, while I was there, um, a lot of times you're gonna, you'll see on the street in Korea uh, old people breaking down boxes and piling them up real high in like carts and going down the street and looking for boxes. To pile up. And the reason why they do this is to make like money, like some change. 
for themselves because they probably don't have ed an education to work or the, the ability to work. And if you know anything about a lot of Asian cities, they're really hilly. Really hilly. You'll get a cardio workout just walking around, right? And so one night near my apartment, the one I was living at in Korea, um, I see one of these old harmonies, grandma, so I'm going to call her grandma, walk, like pushing this cart. And she's struggling because she has so many boxes on this thing. And she's pushing this cart. So I was like, I'm not just going to like walk by, right? So I started pushing the cart for her. Right? And my Korean is really bad, so she got scared and she thought I was like stealing her boxes. Right? But I was like, no, like, I'm trying to help. Right? So I'm like pushing the cart. I get to the top and she thanks me and then we go on our way. And then I saw her the next night. And then I saw her the next night. So in actuality, I started helping her every night because I kept seeing her. And then we had like a funny relationship. Like I, I told her I was a teacher, but she took it as like I was a professor. Like she called me Kyosunim, so I was like, yes. I'm professor. And so I was this professor like helping this grandma, like pushing the cart and like folding the boxes. And then it became like I was going with her to different restaurants to collect boxes and like fold up the boxes and put them on the cart and work. And we like, we developed this relationship and like, you know, there were days where she'd be like, you're late. And I'm like, I'm sorry. And then like, we'd help. And like, and, like we'd like push around and like do all this stuff, right? But what bothered me the most was not that people weren't helping. It wasn't that people weren't helping. It was the look of disapproval I got for helping her. Why are you helping her? Like, this is not the norm. Our culture doesn't do this. What are you doing? This is not what we do. And it hurt me. This woman was so warm, so beautiful. And I remember um, we would spend time together. Um, you know, like sometimes we would sit down, take a break, and she'd pull out like old French fries she got from McDonald's, and we'd share like old French fries and eat them together, and she'd just talk. But towards the end, she looked at me, she said, thank you for loving me like a son. And, you know, for me, for someone who hadn't talked to, to their family in so long, she ministered to me. She spoke to my soul in that moment. And so, yes, we are called to be a neighbor. We're called to help the least of these. But we have to also remember, Scripture tells us, when we go out of our way to be a neighbor, and to be Jesus, we meet Jesus too. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Uh, let's just submit ourselves to the Spirit right now. Let's just ask God's Spirit to speak to us, to move, to convict us, to encourage us. Uh, right now, Lord, I just pray against the spirit of guilt, spirit of shame, Lord. That's not of you. You do not condemn your people. But God, I pray that you would convict, that you would encourage, that you would uplift, that you would empower right now in this place. Spirit of God, would you fill this room? 
and help your people rise to the call that you have for them. And I want to pray for two things. One is that we would remember what it means to live in adoration for God. Adoration. Love. I know many of you in here will say, I love God. But my prayer for you right now is, I want you to love God. If love has gotten cold lately, Spirit of God, would you speak? Would you speak a powerful word, only, only that you can do, to my brother, to my sister, that they would be so consumed by you Lord, would you waken those who are sleeping spiritually that the sleepers would rise that the people you have called your sons and your daughters would really take their place and that they would delight in what you have for them Spirit, we know you are moving we know you are moving. We, we declare this in faith, Lord. Second thing I want to pray for is as I was writing this sermon, the word I really got for us was would we love those around us well? that there are relationships, family members, that we have trouble forgiving, resentment, in-laws, tension. That God, you would fill us with your spirit. Help us to embrace the power of your forgiveness. That we would be a people of reconciliation. And that we would love these people, Lord. But more than that, God, that you would be enough, whatever the cost, whatever it might be, God, that you would be enough for us to go and do just like the Good Samaritan. So God, right now in this place, Lord, would your spirit fall? Would you move in your people? you be over them because we cannot do this without you we submit ourselves to you right now we pray god we would be a church that loves their neighbor in jesus name i pray amen